ride with me in my foul life. This episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer, the go-to firearms company for those seeking high-quality, precise, and innovative firearms. With over a century of experience in the industry, Sig Sauer has consistently delivered firearms that you can rely on in any situation. Visit SigSauer.com to explore their full range of firearms and accessories, as well as their extensive training and support programs. Choose Sig Sauer because when it comes to your safety and your satisfaction, only the best will do. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Bandit. If you're tired of settling for second-rate gear that doesn't perform when it counts, look no further than Bandit. Trust us, you won't find better gear anywhere else. Head over to Bandit.com and experience the difference for yourself. Choose Bandit and dominate the outdoors like never before. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Foul Life Podcast Midwest Series. I'm your host, Joel Clayfish, along with... Two-time state goose-calling champion Dave Nelson, turkey-calling extraordinaire who joins me today. And Dave, great to have you back on the show. It's always fantastic hunting with you. It's fantastic hanging out with you. And it's fantastic listening to you blow these calls. Right now in uh, Wisconsin and throughout the United States, we're kind of at that midway to later midway point in the turkey season, Mm -hmm. which has been phenomenal (laughs) in Wisconsin so far. Uh, You, you and I hit the woods yesterday and kind of put a, I thought it was a pretty fascinating stalk on some turkeys. I mean, we walked in about a thousand yards into a cornfield, saw the birds, Mm -hmm. you know, ducked in past the wood line, tried to make our way down. And of course, I mean, nothing, nothing comes easy. And of course there was a big uh, dike or drainage ditch there. So we were all in over the top of our boots in swampy sewage water. (laughs) (laughs) It smelled like sewage water. Yeah, I think it was sewage water. (laughs) And we saw these birds and Somehow we got down into the dike. We were literally, if you can imagine, uh, you know, me, not the smallest guy in the world. Now Dave's fit and young, but I'm, you know, I'm getting up there and I, so we're crawling up the side of this ditch covered in, (laughs) I had dirt and mud in the boots. I mean, this is real turkey hunting, isn't it? This is what happens when you're out there trying to close the deal on these late season birds well I, yeah you're talking the way our tag system works you get seven well yeah seven you get one week so we were down to the last 45 minutes yeah the- and and matter of fact I, I mean i was working i was working at the capitol had mm-hmm. uh you know serious business going on in madison the capital of wisconsin and i said i can probably get home around six now our the good news is now these are the longest days of the year yep. so we had until like 8.15 or something crazy, crazy yeah. to hunt till. Yep. So I said, let's meet as close to 6 as we can. We get out there. We walk the wood line and pop up out of this drainage ditch with Lyle. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm going to call him Lyle. Lyle. You're, you're tried and true, full strut Tom decoy yep. with real tail fan and real side feathers. Yep. And it's a pain in the ass oh, to yes, take with you. Uh, it's a workout. I think it weighs like 100 pounds. I'm pretty sure. 110. I think he's, is he lead? I think he's lead. Tungsten. <laughs> the, the only tungsten turkey decoy. And so take us from there. We, we, we finally get up. You get that over. We've got Nick Scafidi along. I'm along. Yep. And we're, you get Lyle over the top mm-hmm. uh, of the ridge 
and then you go uh, just to get those toms, which are about a thousand yards away, to see. Yeah. Yep. What happens then? Yeah. Well, I'm just using it as visual. So uh, we walked that ditch, and I know you had said this right here is kind of where they usually tend to fly up to roost. So we had a, a general idea as to where we thought they were heading. And once we got to that spot, of course, those birds were already in the field. We slowly kind of crept up just to kind of get a vantage. Now, that wasn't ideally what we were going for. You know, we wanted to try to get there. We were thinking those birds were coming back later. Uh, but I don't know if it was weather, just turkeys being turkeys. They, they were there, you know, before we thought they would be. So talk me through the decoy strategy and then talk, yeah. me, talk me through the, the decoy strategy and the calling strategy at that point. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Nick, you and I are very accomplished turkey hunters. We've all killed dozens and dozens and dozens of turkeys. Yep. But there's always the, the internal debate. First of all, uh, full strut tom mm-hmm. versus a jake with a smaller fan or just even running a fan in that scenario yep we had to get those birds to see us before uh or to see our decoy before they noticed we were there right and that's that's why i know we talked about it before but i don't ever leave without a strutter decoy if i could only take one decoy it would be a strutter decoy and i um you know i've i've reaped turkeys i have done it i'm to the point now i don't I don't really care to do it. I don't like crawling through. It just, there isn't much, doesn't take much to do it. You know what I mean? Skill wise. I like I the calling aspect. I don't love the reap. I mean, I, I don't love the reap because it takes out some of the art of absolutely. the calling, the setup and the joy of fooling mother nature and having them come to you is yep. really what you're kind of looking to do mm-hmm. um, when you're turkey hunting. In my opinion, that's how it's agree most more. satisfying. So um, what I'll do with that strutter decoy though, and one, they love to beat up on it, and uh, it, it showed for that hunt, and it also showed from a, a few days prior, my wife had a tag, and we were hunting first time on the property. It was a new property. So I had no idea where these birds were roosting, no idea where they are feeding, nothing. Went out after work, and we were just going to try to yelp a turkey, strike a bird to get them to gobble, and set up on one. So we were slowly walking the perimeter. Every 50 yards, I'd stop and I'd call. We'd listen. Walk 50 yards, really slow. And I had the strutter decoy and as we were walking around the one corner, wouldn't you know, all of a sudden a couple heads pop up over a, over a hill. And at that point you're, you got nothing you can do. So you just kind of, you know, crap. And you kind of look at them. Well, you you have the decoy and it's all, it's a blind at that point. You know, have you not yeah. had that decoy and all you had was two hen Thank decoys? Thank goodness you have that giant decoy because yep, then that it, it works you. as a blind. It literally, you can hide a, a medium to large sized person behind it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've hid multiple people behind if you do it right. Um, but yeah, so that, you know, those heads popped up and they're kind of looking at us and it, it took some Jake yelping to convince them that, oh yeah, that's, that's a turkey. And they came, you know, within 20 yards and, and she shot a bird and, uh, same thing goes for, you know, our scenario, we, we didn't expect birds to be in the field, but you know, had we not had that decoy, you get spotted. There's nothing you can do. So as we walk that ditch and we, we walk down there, you told us like, this is where they fly up. This is where they're going to come to. Okay. Well, at this point, you know, there, there's really nothing we can do. Uh, there wasn't much for cover as far as grass. So we're going to get the decoy up there. We're going to give them the, the visual. Right. And then to really see the deal, you give them the audio. So let's, I'm going to, I want you to do that right now. So right now, pop a call in and yep. take me through exactly what it sounded like when we crawled up the side of that bank, finally got the decoy right in front of us. We're all laying prone. 
what did you do to call in? So what I'll do is, is right away when you give them that visual and they're so far away that they don't really, I don't think they can really tell what it is. They just see the object. So they, they have an idea that it's a, a turkey, but they're not spooked. They don't know what it is. So you, you kind of, you read the birds, you look at them and what I'll do right away is yelp at them just like a hand. Just to give them that reassurance that, okay, that those are turkeys. And then to keep them excited or keep them interested, usually in that, because it's so quick, you really hit them with that. You, we popped up out of nowhere. You know, we weren't there. Boom, there we are. I'll yelp at them. I'll cut at them. And then I'll Jake yelp. So. That's it. And that's all it took. And once, I have to say, once that, once they saw the big Tom, uh, all of a sudden you yelped, then you cut, and then you had the Jake yelp, and all of a sudden they, not only did they get interested, but pretty soon the three of us were quaking in our boots because they were literally (laughs) running a thousand yards uh, to us. Yep. So that, I mean, that was fantastic. That was unbelievable. So I guess... When you talk about late season turkeys, you're dealing with a, a, many of the hens have been bred, mm-hmm. so they're off the market. Mm-hmm. That's, in my opinion, when the subdominant toms actually have a shot at it. And they start following, um, you know, the toms, the dominant toms are tired. Um, they've been, you know, out breeding the whole time. And the subdominant toms are out there trying to find those few hens. And they're moving a lot more to a lot more positions. And they're also, what I think is they're the ones who are getting angry at invaders on their turf. And I think that's what we saw. Yeah. And it seems like you always get it. Like this year, it, to me, I think it was a week earlier. But every single year you get a window during the season and it's usually five to seven days where they vanish. They just disappear. And you don't know why it is. The weather's good. In the woods. Everything is great. And I think... You know, a buddy and I had talked about it because we we had gone hunting for, you know, one weekend. There were birds in every single field. And we thought, well, let's come back up next weekend and hunt again. We went back up the very next weekend, same weather pattern, same everything. Never saw a turkey. And we we just we kind of came to the conclusion where I think they breed. It's just like deer during the rut. I think they go so hard because they've only got a, a three month window. Right that eventually they just need to shut down. It's a three-month window, but it's really only intense for about a month, yeah. month and a half. So I don't, I mean, Nick and I, you weren't able to go with us this morning. Nick mm-hmm. and I had a hunt this morning. And let me explain this to folks. In Wisconsin, uh, back when I was in the legislature, I wrote a bill uh, that prohibited any municipality from prohibiting archery hunting. Um, we've got urban deer populations, urban turkey populations that are exploding. They're running into cars. Uh, they're running into minivans in all of the subdivisions, uh, taking their kids to work. So I wrote a bill that said a municipality may not prohibit the hunting with a bow or crossbow in any town, city, or village in the state. Governor Walker at the time signed it into law. Now, that's fantastic. Yeah. And because now we have ways for hunters who are putting this food on their table Mm -hmm. to help control populations of deer and turkeys in in suburban and urban areas. Well, and not even to get down this rabbit hole, but had you not passed that to where people could bow hunt, 
you, you know that the state has sharpshooters that go in and they oh. remove pop, the population. And what do they do with them? It's ridiculous. Right? They end up in a pile. They're not ending up on anyone's dinner table. I mean, that, that's a separate Yeah, we don't need to go down debate. that. I just figured to bring But the up. fact is, why not let hunters hunt <laughs> Absolutely. and put the meat on the table? Yeah. So I'm going to say this right off the bat. I am not, I will say this, I am not a proponent of hunting turkeys with bows. Mm-hmm. I think it injures too many turkeys that are not recovered i think there are too many times uh, a bow is too difficult to hit the small vitals of a turkey now if you're hunting with one of those guillotines that's kind of a different story because it's either you kill it or you miss it completely Uh, but i do think that there are some ethical questions with hunting with a bow or crossbow for Mm -hmm. turkeys because when you hit them in the head with a shotgun you're giving them a swift painless death yeah, if you ask me, they were meant to—they were meant to be hunted with a shotgun. No I don't, question about. I don't it. care for the bow hunting. I, personally. I don't care for it either. Having said all that, uh, a friend of mine has—they've got an overpopulation of turkeys in uh, basically a subdivision in River Hills, Wisconsin. It's north of of Milwaukee. It's a, a suburban area north of Milwaukee. He has three acres. So the only legal way to harvest a turkey, and and the turkeys are flying in front of people's windshields, coming through windshields like bowling balls. They need to control those populations too. That's part Mm -hmm. of conservation. And he said, I've got these turkeys. Uh, They're everywhere in our subdivision. Can you hunt one here? And I said, well, you can legally hunt one. So I went this morning with with my crossbow and had, you know, an expandable blade, uh, had, had decoys, 10 feet away, mm-hmm. um, you know, four or five yards away, just to make sure that if we do get a shot, that it's going to be a close ethical shot. I don't like to hunt them with a bow, but that was the only legal option. Yep. Yep. And so we go up there uh, today and we sit on our setup. We hear a couple distant gobbles, nothing. We see nothing. We sit for four hours, nothing. We're about to leave the driveway and across the street is this massive Tom. Okay. This is massive top. So we head back into the woods behind <laughs> my buddy's house and set up and start yelping and cutting yep. just like you were doing there. And that yelping and cutting got him to fire off. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we had, we had that time interested. Well, we didn't know it at the time, but he was following around a hen. So he skirted us on the outside we moved two different times, sat at the bottom of two different trees, set up the decoy. I sat with the, the crossbow propped on my knee, and we gave him those, uh, what would you call those, uh, antagonizing yelps or antagonizing cuts? Uh, yeah, I mean, you show like an attitude, really, when you're calling. So you, you can... Because you like you're yell. mixing it up somehow. It's not just a... Ear, 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 yeah. Ear, ear. It's not just the hen trying to draw Tom because if he's following a hen, he's not going to go to another hen. If he's got a live hen, he's not going to go to a hen decoy. Mm-hmm. So you got to interrupt him somehow with that harsh. And why don't you show us, um, you know, so when we were, we're back there doing that and while we're actually calling him, he's gobbling, we're interrupting it with uh, harsh clucks, chucks, and, and and that seemed to get him to actually move toward us. Mm-hmm. So show us that kind of thing. When you've got something on the outskirts that isn't really listening, what can you do to make it happen? We scout hard. Scouting is such a big part of hunting and consistent success. Glassing is an art. Patience. I scout every day with glasses and sometimes a spotting scope. I use rangefinders. 
to understand how far I'm off a fence line, a tree line, how far my furthest decoy is. And they're all supplied by Vortex, a Wisconsin American-based company, Vortex Optics. Their casual line of clothing, their spotting scopes, their rangefinders, their binoculars, their innovation, their dedication to conservation and hunting. I've hunted with members of the Vortex family and employees. I've visited their headquarters. I've learned their culture and their quality is second to none. Never will you be in one of our Ford trucks and not see a pair of binoculars on the console, in the console, on the back seat, hanging from one of the headrests onto the passenger seat or the driver's seat. Nothing is ever going to replace the Scout. So believe in it. You might have to leave earlier. We travel so many miles behind the windshield in Canada, Saskatchewan, Alberta, traveling those dirt roads, looking for the best hunt. And then we have plan B and plan C. If plan A doesn't work out, did a coyote run through him right before before the sun went down and blew him out of there? Okay, we might have to go to plan B tomorrow. We always go back to plan A and make sure they're there. We put them to bed. Scout hard, learn how to scout, live that Vortex lifestyle. Thank you so much to Vortex Optics for being the official optic of the Foul Life TV, the Foul Life Podcast, Where the Pavement in Podcast. And don't forget to check out Vortex Scouting segments coming up on Season 15 of Benelli's The Foul Life exclusively on the Outdoor Channel beginning in late June, early July 2023 and running through late December after Christmas. The best time of the year, 2023, on the Outdoor Channel. Thank you, Vortex, and thank you all for supporting the brands that support The Foul Life. Yeah, so I'll, yeah, like you said, I'll cut at them and... What I'll, what I'll usually do is I'll start light and start with some yelping, especially if birds don't know you're there. Start with that and try to get a hen to respond. If you get a gobble, great. Uh, but I'll try to get a hen to respond to you. And usually they'll yelp back at somewhat the same cadence. And then right away, I'll start to get excited and, and throw some attitude into that to sound like I'm bossing her around. Show us an example. Yeah. Of so if she yelped back right there, little higher pitched and angry sounding. Yep. And then if he's gobbling and you want to interrupt his gobble, then what are you going to throw? I'll do the same thing. I'll even do it a little quicker. So if I'm calling at him, if I'm yelping and, and he gobbles right away, I'll yelp and they'll cut really fast. In that scenario... First of all, take us through what you're doing to make that diaphragm call sound okay. like that. So, man, it, that's it's tough. So when you, when you look at these reeds, the way that they're the way that they're cut, you can tell that there's an open spot. That one's a bat wing. Yep. So you got your bat wing cut. You can tell that there's an open spot. And what you'll do is you'll take your tongue, and if you if you run, you know, not the very tip, but say like uh, a quarter of the way down, you run your your uh, your tongue across that reed and you'll hear the tone change, right? So hear how it squeals right there. So practice like that. Practice like that. And what you'll find is there's a, a certain spot on that call where your tongue likes to be placed, where that, that call likes your tongue to be placed and it gives you your, your clearest, cleanest rasp and, and uh, hen sound. And then when you cut, it's just a... And I'm, I'm bringing it from my, my diaphragm. Um, Am I doing it right? Now I notice you, you slap your lips closed at I do. the end of that. Yep, I slap my lips closed a little bit and it's just... 
Yeah. So that's your cut. And that, I'm telling you, that's what we were doing today to get that Tom to actually kind of care about where the sound was coming from versus just watching his head. Mm -hmm. We we were at a point that we had probably a subdominant Tom and we had him on a live hen. So it wasn't going to happen for us unless we interrupted him somehow. Yep. And oddly, the softer yelps at the beginning drew the hen first. Mm -hmm. And we were at the bottom of a tree and that hen walked out 10 feet away from us, like four or five yards away from us. And we stayed perfectly still. And of course, who was in tow? And once he got on the decoy, he couldn't help himself but puff up. He puffed up in front. I know that when they puff up, they're not paying as much of attention to you. Mm-hmm. And that's when I drew the crossbow up, shot him, and he was dead 10 yards away. Yep. Um, perfect shot. Fantastic hunt. But if there's any... So, I mean, this is kind of step two in calling. Your first... You will kill... I'm an example of this. You will kill many turkeys with a regular old good turkey sounding yelp. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. what you're making with the diaphragm call, with your slate call, with your box call. And I think I think the jargon box call is one of the best I've ever heard yep. as far as just a simple. And if you want to simply kill turkeys for the first time in your life or if you're experienced and you want to have something that's going to sound the same every time, consistently like a turkey that that jargon box call the slate is phenomenal phenomenal i i rely most on the slate Mm -hmm. because i don't want with a diaphragm call you got to practice 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 or something can come out that sounds nothing like a turkey yep however just remember turkeys can sound like all different things oh i've i've been in the field and you you hear a hen and you just i've looked at buddies like god i don't how did that guy get on the back side you know, I don't, I don't know how that guy slipped in there, but that's, there's no way that's a turkey. That's a guy calling because that sounds horrible. Right. And 15 minutes later, the turkey there she up. is, and she sounds the same. It's like, what is wrong with that one? We've had, <laughs> and we've had that with geese, too, and yeah. ducks. I mean, yeah. you'll always hear different stuff. So what I'm going to do real quick before we wrap up the, the podcast here, yeah. I want to go from step one. Mm-hmm. What is your, in your opinion, what's your step one? What jargon call are you using to make that step one? Easiest, most simple uh yelping out there to get the attention of turkeys while you're turkey hunting. yeah i like for the diaphragm calls i like the snooty that's that's going to be my favorite um and i would the, the biggest thing with the diaphragm is really focus on your yelps like you said before you can kill turkeys with just yelping and everything comes off of that yelp so your cut everything is going to come off of that and i would really focus on getting your yelps consistent so show first. me a basic consistent yelp yep. phase one beginner turkey calling with a diaphragm yep so the, the the yelp itself will sound now the important part to that is the front part of that yelp and what you'll do is you'll get that that little bit of a whine when you push whine pressure rasp mm-hmm. Get that, and then as you kind of drop your jaw and, and pinch with your tongue at the same time on that on that reed to cut the air off, it rolls over into that back end. All right, phase two. If you're gonna get into phase two and some different types of calls, what are you doing with the diaphragm for phase two? What's your second? category what's dave nelson's second category cutting cutting 95 percent of what i 98 percent of what i do on a mouth call is yelping and cutting that's almost all right all i do and when you cut it's that 
and the, the real important thing with that and the problem I see with most guys is they can't get uh, control of it, right? It just, it's, uh, it just runs. So they don't have that control of the diaphragm. You're better off just like a, a feeder chatter on a duck call or a goose call. You're better off starting slow rather than trying to get as fast as you can. And that's a great note to use if you're just walking and you're just wa- you're just walking trying to strike a bird or look for a bird just do that as you're walking and you'd be amazed at how many birds will respond to that and the irony or the, i should say the coincidence of it is it's called a diaphragm call because of the latex that's in it across it but really control of your diaphragm is what makes that call successful yep. in my opinion absolutely um, when you and it's just practice the chuck 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 it's all it being is. able to control that out of your diaphragm because you're pumping air up from your diaphragm yep. from your stomach not your lungs Mm-mm. every time all right phase three so for me then it becomes kind of a uh i call it meat calling so i like your your bubble clucks your really light stuff and then your wines Just stuff that's that they happy do in the field. Stuff right Very there. content. Happy that's happy turkey. turkey. I mean, I've, you hear it when they come in those decoys, and there's not a dominant hen around, and they're just bubbling around. Mm-hmm. You hear it all the time. Or, or, or I mean, a lot of times you only hear them walking. You'll just sit there, and all of a sudden you'll just kind of listen. You'll hear them. Yeah, that makes me happy when I hear oh, that because yeah. it means they know. It means they don't know you're there. Yep. Which yep. is great. Well, that that is fantastic. Uh, I, I'm telling you, that's turkey season is one of my favorite times of the year. I mean, yeah. second only probably to the opening of, the, of goose season here in Wisconsin, in the Midwest. But that is what, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think you're either good at it or you're not good at it. Yep. And in all reality, you can become good at it. You don't have to be an expert to start and you don't have to be an incredibly linguistic person. Well, it definitely helps. Yeah, and a thing that's that I think it's worse in turkey hunting than it is waterfowl hunting. Turkey hunting is a two month long season. Where do these go May 31st? Yeah, they go back into the turkey bag and sit until yep. next spring. And nine times out of 10, they go bad Although in there. I'm gonna tell you something. I use them in the fall. All right, so right now we're, we're going to wrap it up. I yep. want you to show me. I want you to show me what we're going to see out there with the jargon call. Mm-hmm. Give me a rundown if this was a, a turkey call competition. Oh, I don't know. I don't know much about turkey call competition, but I can. I can give you some notes and some give me things a meat. Give here. me a meat sequence, Dave. Okay, let's try to just sound like some turkeys here. Yep, that sounds like it. I'll tell you that. 
Well, it's been a great turkey season so far. Uh, you out there, if you haven't gotten out yet, if you're in those states that have open seasons, get out there. Grab a jargon call. Um, if you don't have time to learn the diaphragm and practice on the diaphragm, grab the slate. It's super easy to use. Yep. That uh, Purple Heart Striker is phenomenal. And, uh, or grab the box call, the boom box, man. That yep. thing will call turkeys from miles away, and you can play it nice and soft. But what a great season it's been for us. Dave Nelson, thank you for uh, being on the podcast. As always, this is the Foul Life Podcast Midwest Series. I'm your host, Joel Clayfish. We'll see you next time.